0: So later in the service, there will be a part two to this, uh, not so much a sermon, but a sharing of the word done with an object lesson slash children's story by Raquelvi slash Justiniano, who was up here singing. So later we'll have the children's time, and it's also for the adults, because anybody who's ever told a children's story certainly knows that the adults are listening too, right? So I want to talk to you today about ordinary things. Most of life is rather ordinary, and if you've learned anything about me in the little over the year that I've been here, I like ordinary, I like routines, I like schedules. So when something is ordinary, to me, that's not a bad thing. I like things going a certain way all of the time. But if you think about most of the things that you might do in a day, they're rather ordinary. You might get up, which isn't really very ordinary, but I mean, it's a blessing. But you get up, you might shower, you might go to work, you might go to school, you might come to church. Or if it's an exciting day, like my, my exciting days, you might go to Publix. That's an exciting day for me to go to Publix. So you go and you do and you drive in your car and you walk your dog or you walk your cat or you walk your turtle, if you have one, or you sit in front of your TV or your game station or your computer, or you read your ordinary books or you read your Bible and you live your ordinary life. And that's what most of life is made up of. Even in the church, in the Bible, in the world of Christ, we see God using ordinary things to accomplish his will. Think about it. Back in Genesis, God formed Adam out of something very ordinary. He formed Adam out of what? This is where you respond, church. Dirt, dust, dirt. In fact, the word Adam... Means, earth. Jesus mixed dirt and spit and made mud and put it on a man's eyes and then he told him to go wash in the river. Very ordinary things. Zacchaeus was up in a tree sitting there and Jesus said, come down. And it was in climbing down out of an ordinary tree that Zacchaeus found salvation. Because Jesus said to him, Even this day, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house. All because this ordinary, wee little man climbed down from an ordinary tree. Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, What is it I'm supposed to do? Jesus told Peter to feed my sheep. Something very simple. And on the night that Jesus was arrested and crucified, Jesus himself used ordinary things to show his love to his disciples. Very ordinary, but very profound in their use. Jesus came into the Passover meal. And while there was no servant, he took off his outer garment, he tied a towel around his waist, and he used the basin and the towel and water very ordinary elements to make something extraordinary out of them. The men and the ladies, whoever were there, were looking around for a servant who was going to wash the feet, and they said, I'm not doing it because I think of myself as extraordinary. I'm not going to do the ordinary thing that a servant would do. And so Jesus showed the mark of the extraordinary, the extraordinary, by allowing yourself to be used as a servant. So, you want to be extraordinary? You want to be great? Serve others. That was pretty good. Did anybody hear that? If you want to be great, serve others. So, when I hear myself say something great and then I hear nothing back, I think, did you say something great? Because it sounded great to me. I start patting myself on the back. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. So Jesus used very ordinary things. He used water. He used basins. He used towels. And then they came to the table and he he used bread. And he used wine or juice depending on what denomination you're from. We're saying he used juice. I personally think it was some juice. I'll say that from the front. He used the ordinary things to show the love of God. And then... He went to the garden to pray. And in the garden, he did some ordinary things. He prayed, he cried, he wept. Then he did something extraordinary. He sweat blood. Not the only man who's ever done that, but he sweat blood. And then with an ordinary kiss, he was betrayed and he was taken away and he was whipped and he was beaten and he was spat upon. And then they came and they laid him on a cross of ordinary wood. And they hammered in ordinary nails to his extraordinary hands. So all throughout creation, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have taken very ordinary things and done something extraordinary with them. Because when God infuses something, it becomes extraordinary. As I've said before, this is a building It is made out of bricks and mortar and a little bit of uh, gum and tissue paper, I think. But when the people of God come in, and then the Holy Spirit descends, it becomes a sanctuary. Thank you for that. I was ready to pat myself on the back again. You see, the gospel story is not told in some fantasy world. The gospel story is told in a world of flesh and blood. It doesn't have uh, out-of-the-world phasers and stun guns. You know, I lived 10 years in Orlando, and I discovered that a lot of those people live in this fantasy world. They, they get their greatest pleasure from going to Disney. I'm not trying to slam Disney, but it just allowed me to contrast the world that Disney promotes with the real world. And at the church, that I pastored in celebration which was six miles from Disney. We, as the leaders said, we can't out Disney Disney at the church service so let's not even try. But what can we present to people that Disney cannot present? Meaning. Life substance. It's not pixie dust. It's not Lion King. It's not Lion King 2. It's not Toy Story 1, 2, 3, or 4. It's not Beauty and the Beast. It's none of those. It's real life. And God uses real life and ordinary things to do extraordinary things. That's the world that Jesus walked in. That's why he was born to a woman and he was laid in a manger. Very simple, ordinary things. So that's what I want you to be reflecting on today. God doesn't always make the mountains tremble, but he does bring the rain. You can see the majestic in the flight of a bird, wondering how they took off, how they knew to even fly. You can see it in the smile of a baby. It's a very ordinary thing to have a baby, but when you look at it and it's yours, you go, this is not ordinary at all. This is extraordinary. I love this little creature that I just met. I would die for this little creature. I love this little creature. Look at my little creature. And that's what you should do as a new mother or a new father. Who cares? You know, I'm so sorry. I'm posting all these pictures. You know what? You post every single picture you want. It's your baby. It's your life. And you ought to stand up and shout it because God does the extraordinary through the ordinary. And it's so much, we take it for granted. Oh, somebody had a baby. But you think about that, it's like, my goodness, that's a miracle. So I want you to see the extraordinary and the ordinary things that happen. Think about the somebody who really knows how to sing it, singing the national anthem at a football game or something. When they stand up there and they belt that out, my goodness, that brings pride and a lump in my throat. When you see that flag unfurl, that's a very ordinary thing, but it can be very extraordinary in its meaning. You see, it's the ordinary things in your life that if you look at them for their meaning, they become extraordinary. That's where life is to be found. The ordinary things becoming extraordinary through the presence of God and the meaning that that has. Like this story from our reading this week, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Naaman... You don't meet too many Naamans. Do I have any Naamans here? N-double-A-M-A-N. Naaman. Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Syria. He was a great man with his master and in high favor. So this guy is muy importante. Because by him, by Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So this man's a war hero. He's the head of the army. The king likes him. He's regarded in high favor. He's a war hero. He's got all these badges on his uniform. He was a mighty man of valor, but, but, he was a leper. So now he's got this secret he's got to hide. So he was a great man. He was a commander. People loved him. He was held in high favor. There was nothing ordinary about him. He had helped Syria gain victory, but he had this issue. He had this thing that he was hiding from everybody. He was a leper. Let's look at the rest of the story together. If you'd open up to Second Kings chapter 5. Is it alright to open my Bible on communion, Sabbath? Mm-hmm. Second Kings chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, reading on in that passage. It says, Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. And she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So this girl's been taken from her home. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So this little girl tells Naaman and his, his wife that there's this man in Israel that could take care of that leprosy if he could get there. So Naaman, because he's a, an important man, goes to the king and says, give me a letter so that I can go to the king of Israel and get to see this prophet and get this leprosy taken care of. So he's a great man, and he goes off, and he's traveling along, and he, the prophet is Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha. And Elisha heard that Naaman was on his way to Israel to go to the king to get permission to go to the prophet Elisha and have his leprosy taken care of. So Elisha sends a very ordinary messenger of his out to meet Naaman, as he's coming down the road, who thinks he's a very important man. He's a war hero. He's a man of valor. He has a letter from the king telling him that he has permission to go to the other king, to go to Elisha, to get healed of this leprosy. And the ordinary messenger stops him and says, the prophet, Elisha, says you are to go to the Jordan River and wash in it seven times and you shall be clean." So Naaman had expected to see some wonderful manifestation of power from heaven. And he's a prideful man. He's expected to be treated with all these things because he's a war hero. And he's got, you know, medals on his uniform that he's wearing. And so he became angry because all, all that Elisha had said, not even Elisha, but his ordinary servant, all he had said was go wash in the muddy Jordan River seven times. He thought it was going to be something great something extraordinary he said i thought he would come out and make an extraordinary case of calling on his god to help me an extraordinary man he'd wave his arms over me and he would do something there are better rivers back in damascus i didn't have to come here just to wash in some river so he turned and he went away in a rage but then the ordinary servant came out and said listen if he had spoken something extraordinary over you, you would have done it. I know this sounds really ordinary, but if God is in the water, if God is going to use this, it only appears ordinary, but he said he's going to make you clean. Why don't you, don't, why don't you at least try it? And so Naaman went, and if you've ever heard this story, the uncle, the, uh, it's not Uncle Dan and Aunt Sue, my Bible friends, because one, two, seven times he did and he came up clean. The Bible says, according to the word of the man and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. So his skin was as smooth as the baby's behind. You see, God uses ordinary things to accomplish his extraordinary results. And that means you and I are in good company because we're just people. We're the crown of his creation, He loves us. He sent Jesus to die, but we are just flesh and blood people. So as we break, I want you to consider yourself on a journey, much like Naaman went from Syria to Samaria. He had a letter from the king giving him permission to go find healing. So I want you to know that Jesus has given you permission to approach him. Because Hebrews 4 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might find the help that we need. So what I want you to do, we're going to take 20 minutes. That's why I'm keeping this short. A little bit shorter. And during these 20 minutes, you can do whatever you want in any order that you want. You can sit there and do nothing if that's what you want. Nobody's going to come around and say, don't you want to take the communion today? I always like when people feel comfortable, so you can sit there. You can go. We have a room for foot washing for families. We have one for men. We have one for ladies. The ladies are in that room. The men are in the youth room, and families or couples are in the fellowship hall. In each one of these spots, there is an elder or a leader who will help you or host you, and also at the end has a scripture card that Miss Fern Howard helped me make. Every one of these things has a scripture card. So you can do the foot washing first, you can do it second, whatever you want. This table has bread. So you take a bread, you eat it on your own. You can eat it as you're walking, you can sit down, you can eat it at the very end. We're not reassembling and eating bread and wine together. This has the juice. Outside is the rocks. Mr. Matt, Therese, Therese? is in charge of the rocks. So you pick up a rock and you cast it into the lake to represent that God takes your sins and takes them away from you. Very ordinary rocks, very ordinary pond or lake or lagoon or whatever that's called. If you would like to write praise notes, we have two tables, they're both the same. You write praises on them. Write 10 praises for all I care and put them on that wall and put them on this wall so that when we come back in, these walls are covered with fluorescent praise notes. This is where anybody can be involved. Kids, old people, anybody in between. I'll let you decide if you're a kid or an old person. Anybody can be involved in this. Parents, it's up to you to decide if your children should take the bread and the wine. And in that hall over near the books, I'm going to be offering people to have their hands anointed because God has said... You anointed me with your oil, and my cup runneth over. So we're going to do that to represent the blessings of God. And then in 20 minutes, when we come back in, we will um, have one more praise song, and then we'll move into part two. You don't want to miss this. No one will be seated during this time. You'll be on the edge of your seat. So let's pray, and then we're going to uh, uh, dismiss. Dear Father... As people partake of foot washing, as people partake of eating the bread, of drinking the wine, of being anointed, of casting their sins in the deep, of writing their praises, I pray that you would turn these ordinary activities into extraordinary signs of grace. May you bless us. May you fill our hearts. May the Spirit be here and be alive. May you speak to each one, I pray in Christ's name. So during this time, I'm asking you to keep a reverential attitude. You can talk, but this isn't a 20-minute break. This is part of our worship service. So I invite you to allow God to speak to you on this journey from ordinary to extraordinary.